And hello and welcome to House Top. I'm Mike Gomez, and today we're going to be talking about the doctrine of adoption. Adoption as in the Bible. Uh, the doctrine of adoption is one that is very rich with privileges and promises for the children of God. Those and only those who are adopted into the family of God. And along with those privileges and promises as adopted children, we have the responsibility of acting like children of God, such as walking in the light as Christ is in the light, shunning evil, living obediently to God's word, living in love, walking in peace, walking in faith, and so on. As adopted children of God, we are also to be imitators of God. As a child delights in imitating its parent, and so on. The characteristics that I've just mentioned don't just come overnight. Okay, so if you're if you if you find that you fall short, hey, welcome to the club. This is called the process of of sanctification it is a journey it is something that that doesn't happen overnight this is not a sprint this is a marathon okay it could take a lifetime but as a child of god as an adopted child of god we are growing into these characteristics that i've just mentioned previously on housetop We spoke on the doctrine of regeneration, and this is where God imparts to us spiritual life, where we are born again, born from above, born from God. This is where God puts his Holy Spirit into your life. You know, you're you're born again, you're regenerated. So that's regeneration. And then we talked about justification, where God... Uh, provides us with a right and a legal standing before him. Actually, in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of our shortcomings, he declares us to be righteous in his sight. That's justification. Again, this is all God's doing. We can't touch that. This is God, his work. This is what he does. And so now in the doctrine of adoption, this is when God makes us members of his royal family and household. And so we as, as humans that live these, these short lives, you know, on this side of eternity, we should find great comfort and consolation in this doctrine and gratefully pay close attention to it because ultimately this is our destiny. We don't see the term adoption in the Old Testament. Still, we do find it practiced in the Old Testament, starting with Moses. Pharaoh's daughter took Moses in. 
raising Moses as her own. And we can read that in Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And then there's this fantastic narrative where God is taking the nation of Israel in as a, as a loving and a caring father in Ezekiel chapter 16. We see adoption in Ruth, where Ruth stays with her mother-in-law, Ruth chapter 1. Abraham adopted Eliezer, his uh, slave, to uh, uh, as an heir as long as Abraham remained uh, childless. And that's in Genesis chapter 15. And then there's Ishmael. Ishmael was the son of Sarah's maidservant. And Abraham took him in. So although we don't see the word adoption, we see it practiced in the Old Testament. But adoption, having said that, it, it is from cover to cover in the Bible. So moving forward, we, we see that the Greeks practiced adoption, especially the Romans. The Romans used adoption to procure their nation. It was vital for them to preserve Rome. So adoption was a formal practice of the Romans. If biologically they could not produce an error, uh, of their own to carry on their name or their estate, they would they would adopt. Now, in the New Testament, we find the doctrine of adoption. This is where we get it, you know. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. We are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. One of the greatest privileges of being in the family of God as his child is speaking to God. Think about it. And having an intimate relationship with him as our father. Remember Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means glorified. Be your name. The Bible says that those whom the Spirit of God leads are the children of God. The Spirit we receive does not enslave us so that we live in fear. Rather, the Spirit we received brought about our adoption as sons and daughters. And by the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. That's in Romans chapter 8. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, so that we may also share in his glory. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. So as adopted children of God, we 
speak to God and we relate to him as a caring and a loving father. As a child of God, we find comfort in this doctrine. This is what Jesus meant when he said, I will send you the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Think of it. The creator of the universe has adopted us as a loving and a caring father. Because as a father, he shows that he understands us. As a father pities his children. The Lord pities those who fear him because the Lord knows our frame. The Lord remembers that we are but dust. Psalms 103. As adopted children, he shows that he takes care of our needs. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. Matthew chapter 6. God gives his adopted children gifts. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or will he give him a serpent if he asks for a fish? If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Matthew chapter 7. What's even most important is that God gives his children, his adopted children, the gift of the Holy Spirit to comfort us, and to empower us to serve and to live the Christian life in this world. Now, at this time, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's Luke chapter 11. God not only gives gifts in this life, but also he promises to give us a great inheritance in heaven. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now think of that. That does not fade away for all eternity. Did you know that for God's adopted children, the holy angels are sent to serve and minister to us? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Hebrews chapter 1. What about God's discipline? 
As God's adopted children, he trains us in the ways of his righteousness so that we may share in the beauty of his holiness and peace. The Bible says you have not yet resisted in your struggle against sin to the point of shedding your blood, and you have completely forgotten the word of encouragement that that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one that he loves and he chastens everyone that he accepts as a son. That's Hebrews chapter 12. Discipline is proof positive of being an adopted child of God. Further proof is sharing in his sufferings so that we may also share in his glory. Now, I wish that we can talk more about suffering, um, but time permitted. I mean, you know, maybe next time. But uh, let's just move forward. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. All the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Luke chapter 24. I realize that that that, uh, uh, sometimes the word suffering can be scary. It can be daunting or discouraging for us. But that is simply because we are immature. We lack understanding, perhaps, or we're new Christians. You know, for them and for those, you know, this is deep water here. However, this is where we belong as mature, grown-up Christians, trained and disciplined by God, knowing how to swim in the deep things of God, no longer in the shallow water as Little children not knowing how to swim. Christianity is always ascending. Remember that. Christianity is always, we are always constantly climbing up the mountain, as it were, to higher levels. The higher we climb, the more clearly we see, and our understanding becomes more elevated. Paul writes, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. For now, we see only in a mirror, dimly. But then, we shall see face to face. For now, we only know in part. But then, we shall know in full. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As adopted children of God, we are called to imitate our Father in heaven. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians chapter 5. We are to be imitators of God, our Father in heaven. 
you know, like little kids, they like to imitate their mother and their father. Well, this is what the Bible is telling us to do. Just like little children, they, they delight in imitating their parents. We too are to imitate our Father in heaven. And we do that through Christ. We see Christ's life and we imitate Christ. Of course, again, this takes learning, takes patience, it takes trial, it takes error. And this is part of our growth. This is our journey and sanctification process. Ascending that mountain, as it were. As I mentioned earlier, our faith is personal. It is relational. It is intimate. It is affectionate with, with God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, his Son, and the, the Holy Spirit, the Blessed Trinity, God, Father, and Spirit adopting us into the family of God. Our Christian faith is one of intimacy and affection with God our Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Of all of the world's greatest religions, there is none like ours. None. Islam, of course not. Buddhism, no. Hinduism, no. You name it. The world is full of religiosity. Christianity is the only faith where God became a man in order to suffer like a man and die as a man in, in our place and to rise again from the dead. The only way he can do this is by becoming a man. Because, you know, he is God after all, so he's the only one that could do it. So he was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification in order to adopt us into his royal family, ultimately. I tell you, there is no religion in the whole world where our lives are far greater when we finally leave this world than when we lived in it. God has given us everything we need to live for him in this life and the next through our relationship with him who calls us from heaven to live with him in glory as his adopted children for all eternity. I told you at the outset that this doctrine is rich with privileges and promises and benefits from God, and we should pay close attention to it because ultimately this is our destiny. This is who we are, why we exist, and where we are going. So, until next time, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. First John chapter 3.